All right, everyone. Welcome to a special bonus episode that is a character study in manufacturing partnerships. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics, and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now, your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up? I hope you're ready for another exciting week of Manufacturing Happy Hour because we're bringing you another two-part episode of the podcast featuring a total of 10 interviews with folks that are leading the manufacturing and robotics space. We're going to talk about 3D printing. We're going to talk about a cornucopia of machining applications. We'll talk about sending robots into space and putting them on trains. Anyway, I hope this sounds interesting to you because you're going to get hit with all of that in the next hour's worth of podcasting. To provide more context, this series of short interviews was recorded at IMTS 2022 and was done in partnership with KUKA. We talk about robotics on this podcast a lot, and I know you've heard about KUKA before. Their bright orange robots are unmistakable in our industry, and we've also featured Nate Brazell from KUKA not too long ago back in episode 105. But what's even more unique about this episode is that it's not so much about KUKA, as it is about their partners. To give you a quick story, when KUKA reached out, they were like, hey, we really want you guys to shine the spotlight on the companies, big and small, that are leveraging KUKA as part of their core solutions. Like I said, these are companies that are doing everything from machining to 3D printing. So really, these episodes are designed to explore what makes an industrial partnership great. Is it the tech? Is it the culture? Is it the size of the company? We spent an entire day at IMTS interviewing all of these partners to get answers to all of these questions throughout these two episodes. I should also mention that we recorded close to an hour and 45 minutes of total footage. Today is just the greatest hits, if you will, of these conversations, and particularly the parts that are more friendly to an audio-only format. If you want to check out the full-length interviews for each of these videos, I've linked up to all of them at the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash kukapartners. That's K-U-K-A partners. This is where you can see all the robotics applications we discuss firsthand and more in-depth discussions to all the manufacturing processes that we go over. We should get started here in a second. Today is just part one, so over the next 30 minutes, we're going to hear from the first five leaders in this uh, 10 interview extravaganza. So one final, final thing to say is that I will not be leading these interviews alone. Jay Call, the manufacturing millennial and the unofficially official robotics correspondent of this podcast, he's going to be co-hosting these interviews along with me. And quite frankly, you might as well get used to that because we've been doing a lot of these compilation mega episodes recently. So he's really going to be around this podcast for like the next three weeks. Anyway, enough background. We're going to dive into our first interview and our first application, friction stir welding. Avandro Maya from KUKA is going to explain this as well as new applications where it's being used. So first, let's get some quick baseline as to what friction stir welding is. Friction stir welding is pretty much a, a process where we are put material together without reach the the fusion process or melting the material, the aluminum, we are reaching 80% of the temperature and then we are using pressure and spinning to get together. So fusion, not melting, get it, getting it part of the way there. Yeah, exactly. 
And I think one of the things that we're seeing friction stir well, there's a bunch of different manufacturing processes we're seeing. You walk the IMTS floor, even inside the Kuka booth, there's a lot of different machining applications. But friction stir welding is one of those that I think is growing in recent years. It's been in aerospace, I would say, probably one of the industries that it first took off in. Exactly. And then we're seeing a lot more in the electric vehicle space as well. Can you talk more, why Why is it from an application perspective, electric vehicle manufacturers are wanting to move to this technology? It's pretty much because they are using aluminum for the battery trays, and the battery trays, we can use a lot of, uh, you could weld an arc welding, the standard arc welding, but again, this process has the flexibility they have. We don't have too much consumables, you don't have uh, sparks, you don't have fumes, it means, on the EV market for the battery trays, pretty much we see this market it's just exploded the last years. Next year, last year, and for the future, you know, all the most of the big companies are doing EV cars right now, and then batteries, not just for cars and everything else that use batteries, gonna use this kind of process. And like I said, aerospace too. So we've talked a bit about the let's say the technology. We've talked a bit about what friction stir welding is. Now I want to talk in terms of you know, the people that bring this to life with you. Partnerships are going to be a big theme throughout our conversations Absolutely. today. What, in your, in your estimation from what you've seen, what makes a great partnership? Maybe one of the intangibles about a great partnership. For us, we always looking for companies with high technology as we have high precision. Like, for, like I said, for the cameras, for us, it's really important to have products that has... The material should be really good and also the technology and support, of course, because you have to deal with them. They, we do, when they launch new products as us, we need someone with high understanding what they are doing that we can make our solution works, right? Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about what we heard there at the end. Like I said at the very, very beginning, this episode is really going to be somewhat of a deep dive in manufacturing partnerships. And one of the things Evandro highlighted was precision, the things that partner technologies allow KUKA to achieve. We're going to keep building on that as we keep going. Now, Juan Vega is our next guest. He's the CTO of Reliabotics, a company that specializes in surface finishing and preparation like cleaning and deburring of machine parts. Basically, the step in the process that removes imperfections from the manufactured part, makes it smooth, makes it look great. That's what they were displaying at IMTS. But we're going to dive into their history and an even crazier application that they were involved in. So let's hear it straight from Juan. We originally were a military company, mm-hmm. believe it or not. Um, we got, you know, we found it, we got founded about um, eight years ago. We actually did the spin-off from. Department of Defense mm-hmm. to um, commercial, and um, that's where we brought you know industry experts to tailor our expertise in robotics to the machining and uh, you know uh, manufacturing world. Now, initially we were known for very um, challenging projects because that's kind of our nature. Um, one of them was in the New York City subway, for example. I don't know if he mentioned that to you. But basically, our partnership with KUKA has always been a great partnership. Yeah. And um, one of the one day, actually, uh, one of their sales guys got a call from the New York City subway department where they needed, they wanted to install a robot inside a subway tunnel, and they were like, "You guys are crazy." <laughs> I- I've heard a little bit about this story. Is this the one where you literally put a robot on a railway car? Exactly. Okay. That's I'll c- exactly. continue. Yeah. Continue. Yeah. 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 Please. Yes, I wanted so, to make sure yeah, we're on it, the same it, page. I will tell you. Probably one of the most challenging projects we have done, but definitely yeah. one of the most coolest ones. 
Um, and basically what we did is uh, we went to them trying to understand their problem, right? And the problem is they had to basically modernize the entire New York City subway tunnel with new sensors, right? Everything is from the 1930s. And the problem is, how do you install this equipment when you are running a 24-7 operation? Mm -hmm. So originally, you know, I think it was the governor who actually started looking at this back then. And they realized it was going to take like 40 years of, you know, to install the modernized equipment. So by the time you're done modernizing, it's, it's like, already out of date. It's already out of date, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you speed up the process? It's not getting rid of the people, right? It's actually accelerating the process to make sure that everybody has the tools for the job, right? So if you're going to modernize the system, let's modernize the equipment too to install. You know, why use a hammer when yeah. you can use actually, you know, electrical tools? So in this case, we took a giant robot similar to that one, a little bit less smaller than uh, what we have right across this here. And uh, basically, we took one of their maintenance cars that they use for picking up the garbage at night. And uh, we installed a, basically a rail system with the robot and a bunch of tools. And basically, this system has drills, um, scanning vision. So this 3D scanning vision actually looked at the subway, at the tunnel wall, to determine what type of sensors or equipment is already there. So obviously, okay. this robot doesn't drill, because that's the difference between humans and robots, right? They don't have all the sensors that we typically take for yeah. granted. Mm -hmm. So that's the equipment that we as integrators typically do. We take the robot and we add additional accessories to make sure we give them the perfect solution. So in this case, for example, you know, uh, this particular application, we had to drill wall, uh, the tunnel wall for miles and miles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <I'll> <laughs> so, and that's basically what uh, what this robot did: yeah. scan the wall, understand where we needed to place the holes for the equipment to be installed, and then just kind of like a typewriter: stop, do your drilling, keep moving, you know, and just kept going step by step. So unfortunately, we weren't able to bring in a train and you know a track here at <laughs> IMTS demo today. But we are behind us is a really cool finishing application. Correct. And the one thing when I think about manufacturing is how do we remove these dull, dirty, dangerous, you know, boring operations mm -hmm. and automate them? And I think that's where robotics is just taking this massive leap forward is these finishing applications. Correct. No young kid who's 20 years old coming out of college or coming out of high school wants to take a grinder, wants to take a finisher and just clean parts all day. Exactly. You know, and that's the, the beauty of this robotic system is augmenting the workforce, right? So that our workforce right now, which actually is pretty limited, right? Yeah. We got a, labor, a major labor shortage. Uh, we can actually use them for what really they should be. You know, typically deburring, they actually use it as a, pen, a punishing job, right? It's like, oh, you're in deburring duty today. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, you mentioned you got your start in defense. You mm -hmm. moved into machining. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. You've put robots in subway cars. Like, you've, you've done a wide spectrum. Yeah. What's, what's an area you're most excited about that you're working on currently? Honestly, artificial intelligence. I know everybody's AI? probably, okay. yeah. But why AI? Because robots at the end of the day, right, they only follow point A, point B, point C, point D. Yeah. But you got to give it that intelligence yeah. to make it easier to program. So especially nowadays, we got, you know, uh, high margin, low volume, or, high, you know, high mixed, low volume of, mm -hmm. of products, especially here in the States. So trying to program, you know, every single part, it's impossible. Mm -hmm. But if the robot understands the part, let's say it gets a CAD model, understands the part, and then it can actually do, in this case, deburring, right? Mm -hmm. It knows, oh, there's a burr here. Let me just do that edge. And now it's done, just like a human would. That is definitely the future. It's AI in that sense. 
So one more question to wrap this up. And you talked about this at the start, about how you have a great partnership with KUKA, right? Mm-hmm. And we're really exploring, you know, what makes a partnership great in a lot of these conversations. So in your mind, what, what uh, I'll just ask the question I just said, what makes a partnership great, whether it's an intangible or something that's more tangible? So there is two things, right? One of them is the most important is always relationships. Yep. You know, at the, at the end of the day, companies are just humans working mm-hmm. together, right? Mm-hmm. And it's I got to tell people to people, right? Like people B2B, to people, B2B, exactly. B2C, whatever. Yeah. You know, that's one of the great things I love about KUKA is yeah. we kind of feel like a family, even though we're a small company, right? Working with a giant robot manufacturer, mm-hmm. we still feel part of that KUKA family. Um, and, you know, it doesn't hurt that they have a great product, right? Mm-hmm. They have that two-year... Uh, you know, robot warranty, which others only give you like one year. So you know that their product is top of the line. And that actually helps when you're trying to integrate and, you know, and show it to your customers that you know that if the system is down, it's not going to be because of the robot. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be something else. Yeah. All right. So people and product mixed together. Jake, anything you want to add or do you want to close this people, out? People, product, and partners. People, and partners. product, yeah. and partners. There we go. Triple P. P-P-P. There you go. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right, so we got some cool applications. We got some solid alliteration as we continue to explore partnerships. Friendly reminder that as you're listening to these segments, please remember that you can access each of the full individual video interviews at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash Partners, where you can also see some of the robotic technologies that were on display firsthand. We've got a playlist linked up there. Go to that website. Go to the show notes page. You'll be able to see it there. Speaking of cool applications, our next application is water jet cutting. We're going to dive right into our next conversation with Warren Reynolds, VP of Operations at iCubed Industrial Innovators, who's going to explain what this application is all about. Yeah, I mean, in simplest terms, uh, we're just taking water, jack the pressure way up, and then run it through a nozzle and aim it at the right part, and it cuts. It yeah. actually erodes more than it cuts, but I mean, on a scale... You figure you're at home, you turn the tap on, you're about 40 pounds. Okay. 40, 50 pounds of pressure. Yeah. You go to the car wash, you want to wash your car, you're about 1,500, 2,000 pounds of pressure. Yeah. So when I say jack up the pressure, we're getting up to 60,000, 90,000 PSI, focusing that through a, you know, 4,000 or 10,000 size orifice. Yeah. So that stream of water that's coming out looks like a hair. Yeah. If it's straight water. And uh, as it hits apart, it really just erodes apart away. It's like... A beach only accelerated super fast. Yeah, and because it's just the water just wearing away that material essentially. And and tell tell us about the materials, right? Because we're not just talking like plastics or something. Yeah, we're going no. Some- <laughs> uh, you, it's essentially where water jet has it better over laser or plasma. Mm-hmm. I don't have to melt the material because it's I'm not a heating and a melting process. Yep. So the the temperature stays nice and low. So as you erode the material away. You're not affecting the material, but what material can you cut? Yeah, the foams, plastics, carbon fibers, Kevlar's, um, steels, aluminums, if you start adding abrasive to it. Uh, we did have a quote to cut diamonds for people uh, because okay. you can actually erode and cut the diamond away. Wow. Um, so, yeah, there's pretty much anything you can wear away yeah. that you could grind away, you can pretty much cut. So a jet as skinny as, like, someone's hair... 
basically. I think a little less so, right? Or more? It can be less. Okay. Uh, So you can go, this one that we're cutting here today, uh, it's only four thou. So if the human hair is seven thou, this is four. Only. Only. Only four thou. Only four thou. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But if you want to cut a bit faster, if you want to cut a bit, you know, thicker material like steels and cast irons and stuff, then you go to something like a 15 thou. Awesome. So to kick off uh, over a couple more questions to you, why water jet cutting with a robot? And then maybe, you know, dive into that a little more. Who is iCubed? You know, how did you guys get started? What's the niche cool stuff that you bring to the industry? Because yeah. I think when I think of water jet cable, I think of, you know, a flat table bed that has exactly. a standard Cartesian axis. Yep. Why are robots doing it? Yeah, it's a great point. Uh, the standard is, the you know, the flat bed, the Cartesian bed, XY with a bit of a Z. Sometimes they have it, sometimes they don't. Um, and that's great for a lot of flat stock stuff. So with the robot, what we're allowed to do, or we can do very quickly, is we can add angles to that flat stock. So if I want to do weld preps, so if I have a steel sheet, you know, half-inch thick steel sheet, and I want to put a, a weld prep on it so they form it and weld it, I can do that right off the hop. I don't have to go back and post-process. What iCube's done over the years is we've got in the market and we partnered with KUKA uh, where we can put that on a robot and allow us to get out of that 2D plane and into a 3D space. So we can cut uh, pipe copings. So we can pre-do stuff for the petroleum industry, for example. Uh, High-pressure domes. So a 15-foot dome I can put in front of a robot, and I can cut all the openings that they can put, weld in all their their flanges to. Uh, we actually got into doing uh, goalie masks. Really? Oh, really? Okay. So That's very who, Canadian of you. Yeah, we'll yeah, get yeah, to that Canadian, in a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so the... They would be cut by hand normally with a template. So we actually just cut them with straight water, and we cut all the holes and everything in them so they're all the same all the time. So you get into that 3D space where now you're not limited to this or just a few degrees off. You now can actually cut underneath and on top of everything. So it really opens up sort of what you can do with the water jet. How does a partnership between a water jet cutting application and a robotics company come to be? (laughs) Um, okay, uh, so we partnered with KUKA. I mean, I've been there for 12 years, so many years ago, 12 years, 10 years ago, uh, because KUKA gave us an opportunity to do this in a sense that with offline programming, you need accuracy. KUKA gives us a strong base, rigid base, with highly accurate point-to-point motions. So we can keep a you know anywhere between a 10-thou and a 30-thou accuracy mm-hmm. on a line or on a dimension because KUKA's robotic system is that good. So putting the water on it or putting a non-contact process on it was a no-brainer. So they're the choice to go to uh, for us, and that's how the partnership came up. We just, this is what we wanted, this is what we needed. They gave us the systems and the the processes that allowed us to achieve the, the tolerance goals that the industry wanted. So a lot of times partnerships have no boundaries, and in this case, the boundaries between iCubed and KUKA go across borders. Right? That's oh, yeah. the one thing that's happening. You guys are not a American company, well, a U.S. company. You guys are our northern friends out in Canada. What's that been like, you know, being a systems integration for Canada, working with a lot of U.S. manufacturers and companies? What's that yeah. relationship like where it's not just, you know, United States, it's all of North America yeah. you working with? Yeah, yeah. no, it's uh, really given us more opportunity to see different technologies or different applications. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, north of the border, yeah, Canadians, as we are, eh? Hey. Um, you know, we have a good manufacturing industry. 
It is. But when you get down south into U.S. and Mexico and into Bahamas and over the U.K. and stuff, there's some more opportunities to find some really niche technologies that this provides a great solution for. Uh, so working with KUKA and working with their partner channel, it was great to have, you know, that application is brought up to us because as a smaller company, I don't have the, the sales crew to go down through the U.S. So we really, you know, get to leverage KUKA's, you know, multi-international sort of corporation and stance towards, you know, our uh, professional growth and our intellectual growth with uh, different applications. Tell me you've gotten to go on some of these trips. Like the Bahamas was the one that jumped uh, out there. See, <laughs> the Bahamas one was great because <laughs> oh, yeah, here uh, we go. Well, no one went on the install. Oh. So the guy from Bahamas came up. We gave him a training course for three days. We shipped it down to him. And then we're like, okay, everyone like rock, paper, scissors. Who's going to Bahamas? Who's going to Bahamas? And then he phones back in like two days. Okay, it's all up. I'm cutting. I have this problem. Oh. Oh. <laughs> so he didn't even need to go down to help with the install. He had no, it ready to go. He had it all done. It was just that easy to install. And because it was all offline, he sent us a thing. Oh, why isn't this working? Do this. Sent it back. He's like, oh, yeah, we're good. All right. No, I don't oh, need you. Yeah. The one time where you want to make yeah. that service. Yeah, when, when you want to travel. Where is the cool spot you've uh, gone then if you missed out on that one? Uh, United Kingdom was fun. Yeah. Um, it was fun. Uh, yeah, no. Mexico. But usually if you're in an industrial park in Mexico, it's not you're not on an all-inclusive it's not, beach. It's not yeah. the beach, right? So. Yeah. You know, I was doing some math when it came to water jet cutting pressures. If your kitchen sink runs at 50 PSI and a water jet runs at 60 to 90,000 PSI, that means the pressure is 1,200 to 1,800 times stronger for those industrial machining applications. So yeah, yeah, that'll basically cut through anything. As far as our partnership conversation goes, we're going back to functionality. Warren highlighted accuracies in how cross-border partnerships expose you to more technologies. Next, we're going to dive into 3D printing, specifically 3D metallic printing. Nick Johnson is the co-founder of One-Off Robotics. We'll be discussing 3D printing, One-Off's mission and history, and finally, we're going to talk about beer. All right, we've got another application here. We're talking about 3D metallic printing, and we've got Nick Johnson to explain it to us. And we've got quite the setup in front of us. There's yes. this giant, what looks like, as you called it, a beer stein. I mean, that's what he keeps getting mistaken <laughs> as. But, yeah, it's actually uh, the middle section of the robot behind us, mm. and it was printed by a robot. So some real Terminator action, robots so robot, printing robots. a little iRobot, Will Smith coming out there. Yeah. He's not going to be slapping anything, but we got a good robot. I want to yeah. hire someone in marketing to just go in there and be like, ah, oh, we turned the lights off, and then the next thing you know, this thing was printing itself. So <laughs> right, we'll, we'll see. Well, so for anyone out there listening to the audio, we've got some, some big hardware in front of us. But we also want to learn about 3D metallic printing, which um, I think is very self-explanatory in some ways. But what more is there to it for someone that's just learning about this? Yeah, what's awesome about this process is it uses standard welding wire. So kind of a commodity thing that you can then get off the shelf. Um, and allows it to be way more accessible. So six lasers are putting down a bead, and you're able to just stack it up continuously using a robot. So large range of motion um, allows for a lot of flexibility and print strategy. 
So I, I want to ask you a little bit about one-off as well. What is the origin story behind your company? How did it come to be? Where would you know if if there's any something anything crazy that happened along the way? Give us the the summary. Yeah. So the the business partner Tony DeSanto and I started One-Off Robotics. Uh, he's had a history in robotic 3D printing. Helped start another company that's done uh, freeform 3D printing. Mm-hmm. Um, really, a lot of technology and understanding around 3D printing and how to make it easier. Um, and more accessible to people. So we've, we've been working over the years around machining and multi-process applications to um, really push robotics and make it more of um, fabrication and not just um, automation. Can you narrow it down to one thing when you talk about making 3D printing more accessible, right? Because I think to a lot of people it's something cool, yeah. but they still don't see the applications or as the industrial applications, we should say. What's been one thing that sticks out about making it more accessible? I'm sure there are a lot of things, but I'd love to hear your top <laughs> top one or two. So when it comes to robotic 3D printing, it really is you deliver a cell and you want people to use it. You train them up and then does it get used? You know, if people change departments or leave the company, making it accessible is really about having the training regime available for people even down the road and an easy and intuitive user interface to really make the hardware accessible. Awesome. And let's talk more about industries. You know, I'm out here. I'm just looking at some stuff. Looks like we have uh, a blade for something. We have some watches. We had a robot part. What is how, how I guess how is additive manufacturing with metal printing expanding into different industries? For sure, you're starting to see it kind of push past the like low volume kind of one-off parts and start getting into more of the mid-volume, which is what we want to see in additive. People starting to realize the cost is there, the, the accuracy is there, and now we can start pushing production and able to make more parts faster. And I think just the capital cost in general, right? When we're looking at a manifold behind us, it could be a, a general casting, and there's a lot that happens to happen when you're looking at that pre-processed even before you make those parts. With additive manufacturing, it's you just got to change some code. Exactly. And you can, in a 10-hour time, be printing a brand new part that's completely different with a design change. There's not all these other restraints that allows it to work. I think of, um, you know, there's a company out there that makes a lot of rockets that go into space right now. And their motto is, you know, fail fast and, and just make it happen as quickly as possible. And I think that's why additive manufacturing robotics is such a promising industry. And something doesn't work, you just throw it away and print something new. It's not like you have to throw away a complete die or cast or molding. That's a huge point. Yeah, and the companies that are really leaning into the innovation, you're starting to see them take advantage of that and really starting to leap ahead of the competition. So... I have a question. You know, you talked about where one-off came from, but what were you doing before that, right? How does one get into building their own 3D printing company? Oh, man, I have a wandering tale of different <laughs> applications. Yeah, I did quite a few years in the defense industry doing okay. uh, weapon systems, so mm-hmm. software electrical, and then uh, transitioned into nuclear energy doing small-scale robotics to go into high-radiation environment. Um, so, yeah, huge nerd, as you can tell, but um, really passionate about building something different, really investing in people and culture mm-hmm. and, and being the change you want to see in the world. So, you know, we have an amazing team at OneOff, and we really invest in our people, and our values and our culture come before anything. So so as, as we wrap up, we chatted a little bit about this. We're going to go very light here at the end, and your company is based in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. 
And that's a spot I, I haven't been there in a very, very, very long Gotta time. Come. I, I know, well, Jake's always got his baseball hat on. I'm not going to say the name of the team. But, Chicago um, Cubs. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, moving forward, the Chattanooga Lookouts. But I'm rambling now uh-huh. on my wandering tale of what I know about Chattanooga. But what I want to ask you is if we were having a beverage manufacturing happy hour style there right now, uh-huh, uh-huh. where might we be? Describe that place for us. Ooh, so many choices. Well, if you come to Chattanooga, <laughs> you got to get a view of the river. So, okay. I mean, it runs right through downtown, the Tennessee River. Um, if you're into cocktails, third floor, the Edwin Hotel, the Tennessee has um, the Whiskey Thief. It's a okay. great Ooh. place to get a good mm-hmm. cocktail overlooking the water. I hope I get some sort of discount next time I, I go there. <laughs> um, but if that's not your style and you want a beer, on the other side of the river is Bruja's German brewery that has a or German brew house has a lot of beers on tap. Absolutely fantastic. Other side, just enjoyable. Why not both? Why yeah, not just go absolutely. from one to the other? You know, there's a beautiful bridge, <laughs> wooden bridge that goes right between them. So yeah, you got to walk it anyway. Well, next time we chat with you, we got to do it in Chattanooga over one of these beverages. Absolutely, please do. Thanks so much for jumping on the show. We'll be back with more here real soon. Cheers, folks. 3D printing going from low to mid volume. Now, again, we were recording these episodes in front of some pretty cool demos, but the walkthroughs really didn't make it into this podcast since you're listening to this in an audio-only format and you kind of need to see what's going on. But if you want to see the robots, the equipment, the applications, head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash Partners where you can see all of those videos. Next up, we've got Travis Turner from Eckhart. Now, in this conversation, in the long version of it, we talked about sanding and deburring again, but we're actually going to dive into Eckhart's history and really focus on a conversation around the factory of the future as we wrap up part one. Yeah, Eckhart's an industrial automation uh, tooling supplier. Uh, Started out in the automotive industry back in the late 50s, uh, you know, supplying to the big three. Uh, anytime you see a car driving down the road, somebody had to put all those parts on and torque a bunch of bolts, right? And we make lots of tools to help pick things up and 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 secure those. And that was kind of the founding of the company. Uh, but, you know, Industry 4.0 is where we are today. And all of those technologies and helping integrate those is kind of how Eckhart's grown up uh, in the automotive space beyond just the traditional tooling now. You mentioned KUKA as a great partner before, you know, just earlier in the conversation. What does it mean to, like, work with KUKA? What are fun applications that you guys have done together? And then what are some other industries that, you know, Eckert's a part of? Yeah, that's that's one of the benefits of KUKA. There's a, you know, it's kind of the multi-tool, the Leatherman uh, approach because, you you know, we're doing material removal right here. Over there, we're 3D printing. Over there, we're bin picking. Over there, we're water jet. Um, so the, the flexibility and the technology partnership is great, and they allow us to go after a lot of different industry segments and a lot of different applications in those industries. And, and I was perusing your website before we chatted, and I, something jumped out at me in terms of the things you do. And you do factory of the future consulting. And I don't see that as, let's call it a line item, on on most manufacturing or industrial companies pages so in simple terms as if we were having a beverage with one another how would you describe what factory of the future is in general and what how how one consults around that so factory of the future there are some companies out there that have whole departments involved with what does our facility look like in 2027 2030 Mm -hmm. right i need 30 percent more output and i have to do it with uh, 15 percent less employees because Mm -hmm. they're just not out there right the boomers Mm -hmm. are, are retiring faster and faster every day and the, the workforce is not there. So how do I increase that output, right? Even with those big departments, there's still questions about what, what industry precedents are there, what technologies are up and coming. Now think about a, a smaller industry or, or company in between maybe above mom and pop but below that Fortune 500. Mm-hmm. 
they don't have that department, but they have the same problems. They have the same labor shortages. They yeah. have the same industry challenges with supply chain. We're there to kind of help them uh, see that vision. Where should we deploy capital? What's the best ROI? Do I need this robot or that robot? Do I need AGVs? Do I, you know, all of those technologies are out there. And, you know, if you've got a small engineering department, they're living the day-to-day firefighting life. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to dedicate time. And so we partner with companies like that to help them kind of see what that future factory looks like. I want to bring a couple of the last two questions together real quick. Robots in factory of the future. I think a, a common lesson that in, bo- in all of our conversations are, hey, when you're talking digital transformation, factory of the future, whatever the word is for sure. it, right? It's people, process, and technology. Technology is kind of one of the, le- like, once you figure out the goal, making sure you have the right people working together, figuring out what processes are, technology kind of comes last in that regard. But I'd love to kind of break my own rules and hear from you. How, does, how do robotics play into the factory of the future? So robotics are simply a tool in the toolbox of, of automation and manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And when you need a hammer, a hammer is the f- most fantastic tool in the world. Yeah, It doesn't duplicate itself as a scalpel very well, right? And robots are no different. And cobots, specifically cobots, are like the exciting, shiny thing all the time. Lots of customers want to talk about cobots. And there are, uh, there are applications where they are the scalpel that you need. Other times, they really don't need a cobot, and you don't necessarily want to tell them they're wrong. They're a customer, but it's not the best application for them. So there's so many applications. Many of them are here displayed in the KUKA booth that robots can do, and there's other things that maybe they're not the best ROI. That factory of the future helps you lay out where that is. Where should that capital go? They maybe want to talk about a project over here, six feet away, walking through their facility, doing a line walk. You're like, well, what about this, guys? This is way more low-hanging fruit. Less, less cost to integrate, less work to keep it up, uh, you know, better safety, all good. I don't know if we can get a better answer yeah. on, like, how, you know, to think about robots and technology and tools and getting done what you need to in the factory of the future and beyond. So I think we wrap with that. I got to say, Travis, thanks for jumping on with us. You bet. It's great to be here, guys. Thanks. Cheers. All right, that was a fun one for wrapping up part one. There are a couple of different topics that put a bit of a bow around this partnership discussion so far. First, when Travis was talking about his KUKA example and talked about going from bin picking to water jets to talking about going after different industry segments, man, that is a huge door opener when it comes to partnerships when you've got a big organization like KUKA that sees all of these applications. I think it's been mentioned before in these interviews, that's more eyes on the street that are looking out for applications where a small company just doesn't have the bandwidth to be in all those spots. And also towards the end, Travis talked about Eckhart partnering with companies to help them see what the factory of the future looks like. And I really like that holistic perception about not just slapping a robot on an application for the sake of it, but seeing what real impacts could be made first. I mean, that's what factory of the future and industry 4.0 is all about. Not to mention working backward from the goal of increasing capacity and doing so with a smaller workforce. If you're a regular listener, you know that this has been one of the common themes in a lot of our conversations around robotics, automation, and digital initiatives these days. With that, we've made it to the end of part one. If you're listening to this as the episode is being released, don't worry, part two is coming out right around the corner this Friday. But if you're listening to this back-to-back at a later date, part two can be in your life right now. 
whether you jump right into it, whether you take a break. In the meantime, if you want to access anything and everything from this episode, including full-length videos and Chattanooga beer recommendations, there's links to everything over at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash Partners. Thank you to Jay Call for co-hosting. Thank you to Kuka for setting this up and sponsoring this episode. And thank you to all of you for tuning in. Stay innovative. Stay thirsty. We'll see you back here for part two very soon. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.